is the Grow Your Clinic podcast from Clinic Mastery. We help progressive health professionals to lead inspired teams, transform client experiences, and build clinics for good. Now, it's time to grow your clinic. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Grow Your Clinic podcast. I'm Jack, and I'm joined by Ben Lynch here today. Ben, how are you? Doing super well. Thank you, Jack. Well caffeinated. As I was about to ask if you were caffeinated. I'm glad. <laughs> what's, what's the caffeine of choice today? Uh, it's called Banco Gotti. That's the name of the coffee. It's from Coffee in Common here in Adelaide. I've mentioned them a few times on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a favourite. I think it's an Ethiopian. It's a natural bean. Uh, just a tasty drink. Hmm. Nice. Interestingly, I am, I've got a Colombian on the go at the moment and it is a Koji process coffee. And those astute foodies playing along at home would know that Koji is like a mushroom fungus and they're letting this fungus grow on the coffee cherries as it ferments. Mm. And so it's got this real umami kind of earthy flavor to it. But it's still coffee. <laughs> you might have lost a lot of people at fungus. <laughs> oh, the podiatrist stayed on. The podiatrist—they—they they, they're is pricked up. Oh, they love it. Uh, okay. Well, look, enough of the fungus and coffee talks. The Grow Your Clinic book is coming. And depending on when you're listening to this, uh, the launch will be in July 2022. For those watching on YouTube, Ben showed it there, and you will be able to find it on all online retailers and in some stores upcoming. And so uh, if you're listening to this in July, you can head to clinicmastery.com and you'll find all the resources over there for the book. And as I mentioned, you can watch this on YouTube. So head over to YouTube, search for Clinic Mastery, and you'll find the podcast and the links to the book. Ben, I was, I was wondering, we were talking offline, if you could perhaps read us an excerpt, kind of story, story time with Uncle Ben, right? But read us an excerpt and of, of a a section that is really meaningful, really impactful, and then I'd love to kind of unpack it with you, pick Definitely. it apart. So over to you, and uh, do you want to give us maybe some context and then share with us? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be interested to see your response and reaction to this because I'm not sure if you've even seen this post that I'm going to share, which is actually from one of our team, Michael Risk, owner of iMove U and iMove Physiotherapy and CM Mentor. Uh, he posted this in one of the Facebook groups that he hosts that helps a lot of young therapists develop a lot of their communication skills to almost compress years of experience into their early years of work. Now, the way that the, the book uh, is compiled is that it centers around the seven degrees to grow your clinic. The seven degrees, think of them as functional areas of your business. You know, some people say, I'm juggling many balls or I'm wearing many hats. Think of the seven degrees as those balls or hats, if you would. And the seven degrees gives you a framework for all the things you need to work on to sustainably grow your clinic. So I'm reading uh, an excerpt from the team degree. Mm -hmm. And this is a post. And throughout the book, we've got these little sections called relatable experiences that you'll, for those that are watching, will see in this little gray section here on the book, where we share stories from the community and from our team that are real and raw in many cases that uh, ideally connect what's covered in the book with your own experience as a clinic owner. So I'll share this here. This is a post uh, written, by, um, written by Mick. He said, I've met a lot of cynical business owners, and in turn, this produces cynical new grants. 
I used to think I'd never be a cynical business owner, but then something happens. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into a clinic. You invest time and energy. People leave and you get upset. Then you think maybe if I wasn't so emotionally invested, I'd be okay. So you try to protect yourself and you become less emotionally invested. And then team members start saying, my boss wasn't there. Or when uh, they were micromanaged, they start to micromanage you. And then they leave because you seem distant or less emotionally invested. So you flip and you go the other way again, offering leadership chats, quarterly rhythms, retreats, professional development, off-sites, desire statements, and on and on, and people still leave. It's a tough cycle to break, right? Richard Branson may have said, train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so that they don't want to, but that's easier said than done. I feel the thing driving us apart more than ever are poor business owners and leaders who go on to create cynical new grads or team members. This creates a cycle where every three to four years, people just want to go and start their own thing and this time do it better. I've been on both sides, wanting to hold on to team members so tight you crush them and then flipping and feeling like, well, screw this. But I try to remember this. Professionals in their 20s and their 30s will inevitably move, travel, have kids, fall in love, fall out of love, and so on. So some people leaving your business is also inevitable. I also try to see things from the perspective of the team member. They've just put their blood, sweat, and tears into a degree for three to four to five years. Then they get their job and they're basically told, start again, you have another three to four to five years before you're really competent. So for the owners, I say, enjoy the journey, get comfortable with the infinite game and celebrate every year a team member stays because it's so easy not to stay. Thank you to Michael Riss for sharing that so openly. This was a post inside of a Facebook group hosted by Michael Risk, where they've got a couple of thousand team members of clinics all in mm. there sharing their stories, their experiences, and learning from one another. It was just a really raw post that Mick put up some time ago, and it got a lot of engagement and interaction, and we've shared that with Mick's endorsement, permission, and, and um, gratitude for saying, hey, you know what? It's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's hard work and you care so much as a health professional. I'm interested, Jack, maybe you had uh, seen that post before. If not, what was your response to that? So I, I was taking notes if, you, if you're watching along and uh, there's, there was three things that really jumped out to me there. You mentioned cynical a number of times mm. and cynicism. And uh, in my observation, there's a stark difference between skepticism and cynicism. Right. That skepticism, like, we, and we're all kind of health professionals trained in the scientific method. A healthy skepticism is a good thing or can be a good thing. We want to question everything, open-mindedness, you know. That, but cynicism is a different beast. Mm-hmm. Cynicism is almost a closed-mindedness. It's a, it's a reservation that things are never going to get better. It's, it's thinking the worst. And so there's this difference in cynicism versus skepticism. And I, I want to be a healthy skeptic, not an unhealthy cynic. Does that make sense? Mm. 
unless you're Simon Sinek. Well, he's a healthy. He's the healthiest cynic, probably. <laughs> the ultimate. That was cynic. a play on words for his name for anyone listening. That was a terrible dad joke, but it was. <laughs> Does that make sense, Ben? Like skepticism yeah. is is not resigned or reserved to like a like a cynic. A cynic when you're cynical, you're bitter and twisted and resigned that things aren't never going to get better. Yeah. Skepticism goes. Maybe there's another way. Maybe you can get creative and curious and interested. And I wonder if maybe as business owners, when we feel ourselves slipping towards cynicism, which is ultimately below the line behavior, yeah, yeah, we can, by noting that you're below the line, by noting that you're cynical, you're one step towards health and, and perhaps skepticism. I like that because, uh, as you said, Jack, in healthcare, we're taught to critically think and critically question, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, being skeptical, mm-hmm. which allows you to progress from where you are. I think oh, there's, yeah. there's, there is an element of open mindedness that is, you know, if there's enough proof or evidence, then I will move. Cynicism right. feels like, nah, I'm kind of stuck here. I'm not moving. What I get out of that from Mick is, but over time, with so much care and effort applied and sometimes not getting the outcomes or, or the desired result, you, you kind of fall into this cynicism yeah. that can actually then limit your future growth opportunities. You go, well, I've tried that and it didn't work. Or I tried it and uh, things worked better for a while, but they weren't maintained or it won't work for me. Mm-hmm. And so you start to lose this open-mindedness, this willingness to try new things or the same thing but at a different time, meaning, you know, you might have tried that 12 months ago or 12 years ago. Things have shifted or the stage of business you're in or the team or the culture is now different. So, Mm -hmm. being open enough to actually try new things or old things again, for mine, is is a key message in this to go... If you're hitting any sort of roadblock about maybe recruitment's really hard or maybe you're going through a tough patch financially, maybe there's a whole bunch of operational issues, that being mindful of how much or how open-minded you might be to seek new evidence or ways or revisit old ways that might be better suited to now mm. is kind of the thing that I get out of it. It's, it's such an interesting point that the, a, a good idea at a non-ideal time is a non-ideal idea. Timing is, is everything, but it takes, it takes guts and it takes humility to get up and have another go, to, to try something that maybe you've tried before and, and didn't work, maybe it wasn't ideal timing, to try again. I'm, I'm reminded of a, a parable about Jesus who's, who told fishermen to go back out and cast their nets again. And he, like... He's not a fisherman. He's giving fishermen advice and they go, you know, right, we'll give it a crack. And that next cast, you know, they, their nets are full of fish. And sometimes that's just it. You've got to try the other side of the boat. You've got to try a different time. As you were talking, the story that Mick was presenting was, uh, I was thinking about a pendulum. And yeah, you were talking right. about clinic owners who swung from one extreme to the other extreme and, and how we how we often swing, we avoid and we procrastinate and then we go all in, but it's unsustainable. (laughs) And over time we creep back the other way. And I was actually in one of the sessions with one of my coaches talking about this, this idea of a pendulum and there's times when an overcorrection is necessary 
but an overcorrection is usually unhelpful. So there are times where if you've avoid, maybe in the example that you spoke of of mixed posts there, you've avoided team time for an extended period. You've neglected your mentoring conversations with your practitioners. You've avoided any of that culture building stuff. There might be a season where the pendulum does have to swing and overcorrect, but the intention is that you would always find a sustainable equilibrium. Mm. We're not looking at overcorrecting forever mm. and artificially manufacturing harmony. Mm. We're looking at a brief overcorrection to find harmony, to find real harmony. Does that make sense? That overcorrection and find the middle? It does. And as I was thinking, it can be really challenging to do it on your own and, oh, yeah. and to be honest enough, maybe with yourself or maybe you need that reassurance or kind of pat on the back or like I'm here to support you. And, of course, we've talked on this podcast before about we believe in the power of having coaching and mentoring. If that's not coaching or mentoring, who have you got around you? Have you got a peer group? Have you got someone on your team? Who is there to actually help support you? Because it is hard to get out of a funk or Maybe you realize, yeah, I know that's me. I'm, I'm cynical, um, you know, really struggling for various reasons. Don't think you ever need to do it all on your own. I think having a support around you, like you said, of your coach, Jack Thayer, who's made that identification that you just discussed. Sometimes you don't even see it. Like, and I think that's why we have coaches and mentors and a board of advisors and all these folks around us personally to say we're not perfect we are very human but those people around actually help bring it out of you and you go oh yeah of course well it's not that sometimes you can't it's not that sometimes you don't see it it's that you can't see it and you need an external perspective to to help orient you or to help give you a piece of where you're at and uh, in terms of relatability and anchors the other thing I, I heard Mick allude to or mention in that post mm. was retention and celebrating retention. And, and it's so timely right now. We're in the middle of 2022 as we speak and recruitment is the buzzword on everyone's lips. But the unspoken buzzword that needs to be talked about is retention. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's our, our good friend Tristan White who talks about retention celebrations Often when we have a new team member, we create welcome packs and we go out for a meal with our team and it's all balloons and streamers and for when someone new joins the team. But do we put the same energy into celebrating those that have been around for a while? I actually think I saw a post from Adam Grant, who's a prominent business psychologist, and he talks about how for someone to stay at your clinic usually means they've made the active choice to turn down another opportunity that may in fact be better money. Yeah, right. And do we consider that? Do we recognize, do we celebrate that? Retention is huge. So I don't know, what, what's your two cents on retention? Yeah, I've definitely made plenty of mistakes and continue to do so in terms of oversight in doing those things. So I find that where I can, I look for what is the system to be my safety net, to be my trigger to do those things because, you know, we all get busy. Sure. To actually have, uh, and I use a variety of different mechanisms, in fact, from Asana, the task, task management, through to a performance hub 
for my own role that I use through to my calendar as well as three different ways to prompt me to recognize those milestones or even just actions. You go, oh, wow, I noticed someone did something good. And in my head, I thought, oh, buddy, good job or like, well done. But I didn't say it out loud. It's kind of like when you get that SMS. (laughs) I nearly didn't um, uh, marry my wife because she thought I wasn't interested in her because I mentally replied to the SMS but didn't actually (laughs) reply. Um, She thought I wasn't interested in her. Anyway, um, you get those moments where you mentally replied but you don't speak it aloud verbally or reply on Slack. Why why is that? Why is that? Someone can write in and let us know. But... I found looking for what are the systems that I can use to be my safety net uh, because you just get so caught up in your own world, whether that's a certain milestone of how long they've been with you through to a whole host of other things. One of those little distinctions, very, very in the dirt, but uh, very practical here is I actually find having a calculator uh, it's the spreadsheet where every team member's on there and literally know how many months they've been a team member and it just automatically updates based on their start date and you can have it conditionally format to go a certain colour at a certain time and then it might trigger a certain type of um, conversation, uh, giving, impact, celebration, acknowledgement, etc. So, yeah, I find systems. What are some of the systems that I can have behind the scenes? And I think... It's systems for connection. How do you how do you continue to know about the human just as much perhaps as you know about the professional? I think it was Mick that I first heard that term. In therapy, treat the person as much as the injury or the problem. Understand them. I think in a similar way, trying to embrace that for your team to like understand the human as much as you understand and and collaborate with the professional on your team. So try and take notes like you would in therapy about the team member, have a central list of notes. It's just for me that a little prompts, like I know the name of your dog, or I, I know that this is an important date on your calendar, or I know some family rituals that you do that spark conversation. Again, I'm not perfect, but they're the little things that I'm trying to pick up that over time build connection and you keep doing that. And I think they are fertile grounds for retention. They're they're not guaranteed, but at the end of the day, the more connected you are, I think you have a better opportunity to preempt or be aware that they might be at risk of leaving. So Mm. there's some things that I like to use. So I'm thinking about the clinic owner that says that's, you know, I love it. I'd love to systemize, but I haven't got any of that information. I've got a big team. I don't know all their dogs or their favorite foods. Or yeah. One of the things that I learned, I think it was from Shane and, and probably from yourself, is um, using forms at different points in time to collect some of that data in a seemingly um, kind of inconspicuous way. So I know that our our new team member format clinic mastery has been refined over the years to just pick up some subtle hmm. t- subtle points of data things like what's your when you think about your favorite birthday what's been your favorite birthday gift or when you're out at a restaurant what's your drink order at a cafe or yeah, at dinner yeah, yeah. and i know other clinics who perhaps do a culture day every couple of months maybe every 4 months every 120 days and there's usually a form attached to that culture day about what we're going to talk about yeah. And you can just sneak in a question in there, mm. you know, w- what's your favourite restaurant? And it's amongst other 
more operational businessy type things, but you've all of a sudden you've found out where you can send people for dinner. Yes. I know Shane's done that in our team and, yes. uh, and for any future team members, he'll probably ask, what's your shoe size? <laughs> right? for, for obvious reasons. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a really interesting insight so that you're preempting and you're, you're future proofing some of your retention and nurturing strategies for your team. Mm, it's a good point. There's no like, uh, silver bullet here for anyone that's listening. These are all little things. I think they all add up and give you the best chance of being able to provide a pathway for retention a key asset that i think we've spoken about here on the podcast has been desire statements for team members as much as they're willing to share and be vulnerable with you what do they want their life to look like in two to three years time and with as much vividness and detail and reference to that on an ongoing basis perhaps we're actually able to understand what drives them and what they're working towards so that we can create a pathway where they see the grass is greener here, not somewhere else, because we're almost personalizing that from the very beginning. So that's another key asset that we like to use and get clinic owners to use in their, in their clinics as well. Mm. Super stuff. Well, thanks for narrating that little, um, what do we call it? Experience, relatable experience? Relatable experience. Yes. We will do an audio book as part of this. I know some folks like to listen to it, but that, there's a little snippet. The paperback will be available and a digital like a Kindle version that you can have on your e-reader uh, will be available very soon, July, um, and the audio book shortly afterwards. Super. All, all of the links to be able to grab that will be at clinicmastery.com. You will not be able to miss <laughs> the book when it comes out. Hey, thanks for reading, Ben. Thanks for sharing your thanks. insights. And listeners, again, thank you for tuning in. As always, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on your podcast player of choice, please let us know what you think. In fact, just today, Ben, I received an email from a physio in the eastern suburbs of Victoria of Melbourne. I won't give it away, but I got an email about the podcast. In fact, I'm going to read it to you if that's okay. Hi, Jack. I listen to your podcast every morning on my way to work. Thank you. I just listened to your short episode on having tough conversations with employees, and I'd love to get my hands on the two resources you mentioned. And, uh, you know, folks, you can email me, jack at clinicmastery.com. It's a human on the other end. I'm there. And uh, I'd love to hear from you what you think of the podcast. And if you need any resources or any help to grow your clinic and amplify your impact, we are standing ready to help. So there you go, clinicmastery.com or get in touch via email. Ben, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And folks, we look forward to bringing you another episode of the podcast again really soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Your Clinic podcast. To find out more about past episodes or how we can help you, head to www.clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. And please remember to rate and review us on your podcast player of choice. See you on the next episode.